0: Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. And uh, Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, just a couple of things. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1 this morning. If you want to go ahead and grab a Bible and turn there um, on your phone, your tablet, your device. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, we put the black hardback Bibles on the seats around you. Feel free to snag one of those. Uh, Titus 1. We'll continue our conversation from last week. Um, As you turn there, just a couple of things, though, as uh, Larry prayed uh, for our four members who are in the Philippines... Um, Let me just back up. It's been uh, six plus years ago that our mission team uh, cast a vision. The elders of the church affirmed that Jesus has called us to go uh, to the unreached people groups of the world. and Specifically, um, over time, God has honed that into an area of the Philippines where we're able to actually go to villages of folks um, who've never heard the gospel, never heard of the hope of Jesus. Part of that vision early on was that one day we'd be at a place as a church where financially we could send a family from our church to actually live there. So rather than just coming in for a week and a half and then leaving, we'd actually be able to plant a family there to establish a church. And, uh, and so right now, as we're here, we've got a team on the ground, our community missions pastor, Brian Lamb along with one of our elders, Ken Forsyth, is with Jeff and Holly Rathbun, a family that is preparing to go live in the Philippines uh, for the sake of the gospel, to share it uh, with those who've never heard it and help establish a church in a village that we'll be working in. So uh, be praying for them as they're there. They're right now just basically collecting information, laying groundwork, uh, and then they're hoping to return to actually live there in the next six to, six to nine months. So I wanna give you that update. Also want to let you know, too, if you're wondering about the construction on the property, uh, that's the city of Fort Worth doing a drainage project. We're not building anything. I know we've been talking about future building plans and that sort of thing. So people have been asking, are we building? And that's, that's not us. That's city of Fort Worth. They're working on a little drainage project and will be here for the next couple of months. So just be aware of that. Uh, and if anybody else asks, you have the information. Speaking of building, uh, I want to make sure that you're aware of our all-member meeting coming up two weeks from this Tuesday, May 17th. Uh, We do all-member meetings periodically here, every January and then as needed, and we've got several things to discuss with you as a church family. Uh, One of those is to go over our master site plan. We have finalized um, a vision for the future for the church, and so we want to show that to you and then answer any questions you have about that process and what that'll look like for us as a church, so come be a part of that conversation. We also want to talk about uh, the role of deacons in the church. I've been studying this topic for several years now with our leadership team, uh, praying and trying to discern where God would have us land. We have elders in our church, but we don't have a formal recognized role of a deacon. And so we've, we've finally landed and we want to present that to you as well. So come be a part of that conversation at the all members meeting May 17th. All right, ready to go? Titus 1, men, you're up today. You're up today. Today we're going to be talking about the men of the kingdom and I chose that title men of the kingdom because I feel like the word kingdom represents all of life. So we're not just talking about men in their homes or men in the church or men in the community, we're talking about men of the kingdom in all realms of life and every man who is in Christ is part of that conversation today. What I wanna do first though is I wanna address those in the room who are not men. Because our temptation and tendency is to hear somebody get up front, call out a specific group of people and then what? Check out. And so let me give you some reasons why if you're not a man here today, you need to be tuned in to what we're talking about from God's word. Starting first of all with any boy in the room, okay? Any boy in the room or um, grown up boys who have learned how to shave but yet are not men. Um, What we're talking about today is your, this is your goal in life okay? You may have a lot of your own aspirations. Your parents or grandparents may have spoken goals over you, but this is God saying to you, here's what I want for you. Regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of what your hobbies, your interests are, regardless of where your passions lie, this this goal, this spiritual trajectory is for every man. So if you're a young person in Christ, this is what Jesus is calling you to. If you are a young lady with us, I see some unmarried young ladies with us in the room, and maybe, uh, and maybe you're single here and you're eligible, let me just say to you, there's an important reason why you need to be a part of this conversation, okay? Young, young ladies, I don't care how old you are, if you're not married right now, you have a significant influence over shaping the character of the men in our culture. God has given you a powerful tool Okay, I'm going I'm to tell you what it is real quick. It's deep. It's theological. Okay, it's is really big. You listening? Here it is. Here's what God's given you. Psst, and walk away. Okay, I know. You going to do it again? That was deep, wasn't it? I mean, that was theological. Well, here it is, ladies. Here's a very powerful tool. If you're single, that God has given you when a man who is not in Christ and not exemplifying the character of Christ approaches you and, and wants something from you. Here it is. Ready? Watch and walk away. You know, I'm telling you, you want to send, send somebody home thinking about who they are and, and up in their game? There it is, right? And what I mean by that is this, that um, I'm just going to tell you up front, there are going to be a lot of males who approach you in your life, okay? A lot of boys who know how to shave and have learned how to conquer video games, but who are not men, right? Who want to come to you to take from you and discard you when they're done and those those characters are easy to find they'll come they'll come in groves by the dozen as you go through life but a man who is sold out for Jesus who loves others more than he loves himself is a rare thing to find and the most powerful tool in your hands to shape the 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 character of the men in our culture is simply this I am playing that game absolutely not My standards and my expectations are higher than that. Um, Married women, let me me encourage you right now. You've got a significant role as well. Um, And here it is. One, um, we're not just talking about your husbands, we're talking about every man in your life who potentially may lead you. An employer, a coworker, um, every man in your life. This is what we're looking at as a standard of expectations. It might impact sitting down in an interview and listening to who might be your potential leader and truly filtering it through the character of a godly man and deciding, do I truly want to follow this man's lead? You've also got another powerful tool, it's the the tool of encouragement. So many times in marriage counseling, when a couple comes and sits down, what I first have to get out of the way is give me the list of all the things your your significant other's doing wrong. Just get it out there, give it to me. Okay, here it is. All the things that don't look like Jesus. I agree, that doesn't look like Jesus, that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, give me a new list. Give me a list of what he does right. Give me a list of where you do see Jesus in him and then we'll get maybe one, two, three things, right? Right? But it's so powerful, ladies, when you see Christ in your husband and you affirm it. It goes a long way, doesn't it, guys? when the women in our life verbally affirm what we're doing right. Just, I'm telling a rare occasion, just do that, right? Just do that for us. It lets us know we're headed in the right direction. And ladies, you've got a powerful tool. And so I hope you're listening today, listening for your role in the conversation. Next week, we come back and we're gonna be talking to the ladies in the room about what it means to be a godly woman after the heart of Jesus. But today, men, you're up. And we're gonna be talking about this together. From Titus chapter one, let's get ready to get started. Start with the first four verses. The author of the letter identifies himself. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now I think one of the things that I've learned about Christianity Um, in particular, American Christianity is this, that we are quickly intimidated by what we don't know. And I think this rings true primarily for men. Not every case, but primarily for men. Oftentimes, when I see a lady in Christ come across something she doesn't know, women tend to be a little less prideful and a little more apt to ask questions and press in and say, I don't understand. Can somebody explain this? But what is it, guys, in our heart when we come across something we don't know, a word that we don't understand, the word sanctification or right, this idea of apostleship, we, we, we come across the word and rather than pressing in and asking in humility, what do we tend to do? We step back in silence and just pretend like we know and we'll wait for another part of the conversation. And so I want to start with the beginning of verse 1 where Paul identifies himself as an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Now, the word apostle can be a little bit intimidating. That sounds pretty high-powered to me, right? That sounds really important. But the word apostle with a lowercase a simply means messenger or one sent forth with orders. That's not so intimidating, is it? A messenger or one sent forth with orders. So if that's the case, every person in the room is an apostle of something, Right? I mean, your boss comes to you and says, hey, I need you to take this message to your team or take this to so-and-so. Can you relay this message for me? If you say yes, you're an apostle on behalf of that employer. Right? And so apostleship is something we're very familiar with. We're all apostles of something. Paul isn't saying I'm just an apostle. He's declaring what? I'm an apostle of Jesus. He's my ultimate authority. He's the one who's given me a command. He's given me instructions, and I'm carrying that out. Now study life of Paul, undeniably he's on that mission and he takes it serious, right? I mean, this is the guy who, when Jesus says, hey, go take the gospel to this town. And by the way, they're gonna have rocks ready to go to throw them at you when you get there. He's the guy who says, I'm gonna go anyway and takes the gospel, right? He's the guy who's on the ship and the ship gets shipwrecked only to do what later in life? Get back on a boat. Not to mention how many times he was in prison. He is truly a man who can say, I'm an apostle of Jesus. I'm under his authority. I'm carrying out his instructions here on earth. And so let's not be tripped up by that word apostle, thinking this is some super Christian, right? And understand it simply means to be a a messenger, a representative, someone who's on mission on behalf of someone else. An apostle of Jesus. Next thing I want to point out is this. He says in the very next part of verse one, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now we're not gonna get into the word elect, but here's what we can undeniably conclude. He's talking about Christians. So what Paul is saying is this, my mission here on earth is not to live for myself, but to live for the sake of others. As we're gonna see this unfold today, a true man. Young ladies, you wanna know how to recognize the kind of man that God has for you? He's a man who loves others more than himself. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm an apostle of Jesus, and I live for the sake of others. It's going to be real easy, right, to find someone who is their own apostle, living at their own agenda, who loves themselves more than others. But it's a rare find. It's a rare find to to find a man who loves Jesus so much that he's sold out and loves others more than himself. The next thing that he says is this. Not only is he sold out and living for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So this is understanding of a knowledge of gospel truth. Doesn't mean everybody needs to go to seminary, but it does mean that we need to press into what the gospel truly means for us on a theological level. And so he says this. I'm sold out for the sake of others and for their knowledge of the truth. But here's the point. The gospel isn't to make us smarter. Actually, the, the gospel, if anything, makes us more foolish. The gospel shows us just how smart we're not and just how inadequate we are. But look at what he says. It's not just their knowledge of the truth, it's their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. We talked about this last week. What does godliness mean? It means godlikeness. If you want to change that word out for Jesus likeness, that's what we're after here. Not just somebody who has a lot of head knowledge about God and they, they can run a good Bible drill, but somebody whose belief, lines up with their character. We're gonna see we're not looking for a perfect man, but we are looking for somebody who lives out what they believe, that what they claim to be true accords with their character and how they live out their lives. And then the final thing I wanna point out here before we go on is this. This letter from Paul to Titus drips with discipleship. Do you catch how he addresses Titus? In verse four, to Titus, my child. My child in a common faith. That's the thrust of this letter. You've got the apostle Paul, a mentor in Titus's life, a young upcoming pastor, and he's writing him a letter to disciple him, mentor him, encourage him, and bring him up in the faith. That's the point of the letter. If we don't get that, we won't get the rest of what he says. So Paul is saying from one mature believer to a young and growing man in the church, future leader, let me speak some things into your life and your ministry. So he says to Titus, my true child in the faith. We'll go to verse 5 now. If you're reading along in your Bibles, there's a good chance the subtitle over verse 5 says qualifications for an elder or qualifications for an overseer. Once again, okay, let's don't check out and go, oh, well, that's for the elders at the church to read so I can skip over all this and get to the point that's about me, okay? Let's don't do that because you're going to see clearly from Titus 1 and 2 that what Paul is writing to Titus applies to every man in the faith. Every man right now is being spoken to from God through the apostle Paul in his letter to Titus. And here's what he says to Titus. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Crete was a big island region. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we hear the word elder, and we go, oh, well, that's that secret meeting that those those old men have once a month, and I don't know what they do, what they talk about, and I don't know, but for all I know, they're handling snakes in that meeting. I don't have any idea what they do. That's not me. I love what he says here. We talked about it last week. He says, appoint elders in every town. The word appoint can render two ways. One is choose, right? Appoint, select. Titus, in the towns that you go to, when you see men in the church who look like what I'm about to describe, appoint them to be elders. But there's another rendering of the word, to make. And he's saying to Titus, but in those towns where it's, right, male leadership, spiritual maturity is sparse and it's hard to see. Here's the thing, make disciples there. Appoint them if you see them. If you don't, get ready to roll up your sleeves and make elders in every town. Appoint elders. In every town as I directed you. Now, uh, we're going to start in verse 6 now, looking at the characteristics of a mature man in the faith. Okay? A, a godly man. Y- young women, this is a man who's sold out for Jesus, and his character shows you that in what we're about to read. And so here's what he says. If anyone, verse 6, is above reproach. He's going to say that twice, and that's really going to outline everything that he's going to say. So we've got to start there. Here's one way I understand this idea of being above reproach. It means that at any given time, there isn't a lingering accusation that somebody can approach you on and call you on the carpet for. It is not a calling to be perfectly moral. Is that what we're headed towards? Absolutely. But let's just, okay, so who's there? Any perfectly moral men in the room? I mean, perfect. If so, I mean, go ahead and head on out. We'll catch you next week, okay? We're not there. So what is he saying then? He's not saying, Titus, look for perfectly moral people. What is he saying? He's looking for men who live their lives in such a way that at any given moment, there is an accusation somebody can bring against them. So even in their faults, right, they're steeped in humility and they're quick to repentance. They're quick to say, hey, I think I've messed up here. Will you forgive me? Or they're quick to, when somebody brings an offense to them, they're quick to say, you know what? I didn't see it that way. Please forgive me. I have sinned. Please forgive me you want to see the mark of a godly man he's quick to repentance and then he begins to lay out characteristics of a man who's sold out for Jesus and look at what he says first of all he's the husband of one wife we interpret that one woman man somebody who is faithful to his wife could this be applying to a person who's Like in multiple marriages, like maybe there's another issue going on, but what we understand this text to mean is that right now, the woman you're married to, you're faithful. If you've been married multiple times, we might need to have a different conversation about what's been going on in the past. But no matter what, you're faithful to that woman right now. One woman man. Not only that, is he a one woman man or faithful to his spouse? His children are addressed here are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So um, the word believer here also renders to be faithful because men, we can't micromanage the salvation of our children. I wish we could. I wish I could just say, do these three things and your children become believers. Okay, we can't, but we can still engage in leading them well, right? And so he says, here's what I mean by that. They're not given to debauchery or insubordination. Debauchery is reckless living. Insubordination is unruly or unwilling to submit. And I'm gonna make you a guaranteed promise right here, man. It's kind of risky. If you don't lead your children, I'll almost guarantee you they won't understand leadership and submission. And they'll be those employees that people hire, right? Who are bent on their own agendas and, and, and shake their fist at authority and don't understand, right? Healthy following, healthy submission. Starts with what you do at home, man. We're not talking about ruling your family with an iron fist, micromanaging, dictating every move, everything, but what he's saying is this. Men, if you're fit to lead in the church, there'll be some characteristics. You'll be faithful to your wife, and your children will understand what good leadership looks like, and you can tell by the way they're willing to follow it, by the way they interact with their teachers at school, principals at school, future employers. It'll, it'll be obvious to see that they know what strong leadership looks like. Starting in the home, then we're qualified to be stewards and overseers in the church. Look at what he says in verse 7. For an overseer or an elder, as God's steward, must be again above reproach. He must not be arrogant. Must not be arrogant. So what's the opposite of arrogance? Humble. Arrogant people need you to know how cool they are. And, uh, and I'll say this to the single ladies. We're men. we somewhere we take a class, I don't remember what grade it was, that teaches us how to be indirectly and discreetly arrogant, to make sure we, we throw it out there for you so you just know how cool we are, how good we are at our jobs, how, how, how strong our passions are towards our hobbies. We just need you to know that everybody else in the gym respects us. And so inerrantly, right, we're arrogant. What you're looking for is somebody who's humble, who doesn't have to put themselves out there and show you how cool they are and try to convince you that they're God's gift to you, right? Do you see that in Jesus? Absolutely not. I mean, this is the guy who can say, you know what? I I can lay my life down and I can take it up. What does he do at the cross? He chooses in restraint, humility, and strength to lay his life down in humility, not considering himself to be better than anybody, even though he was better than everybody true humility, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not quick-tempered, okay? This is, a, this is the idea of being easily derailed in anger. So, men, when your agenda is unfolding at work or at home, in the yard, in the house, wherever it is, and something happens to derail your agenda, when you react to that in anger, you're, you're quick-tempered, Right? And so what he's saying is the characteristic of a man who's following Jesus, is this is what you're going to see. He's able to hit pause on what he's doing, engage in something else without being frustrated and angry and able to help or deal with or engage in something else, right? Put his own agenda aside. Not quick-tempered. Not only that, he's also not a drunkard and uh, I like the way this word renders. He doesn't sit long with wine. Doesn't sit long with wine. And so when you study alcohol in the scriptures, um, there's a lot of room for personal conviction to say, you know what, I just, I choose to refrain. It's not good for me, or I've seen it not be good for others, and I just choose to not drink. But then you could also say, it looks like there is room for moderation and prudence in drinking alcohol. Absolutely. The description of a person who is following Jesus, loves Jesus more than he loves himself, and is willing to lay his life down for others is this. He doesn't sit, much, he doesn't sit long with wine. Whether that's one sitting to the point of drunkenness or sit often with wine to the point of addiction. And I would say ultimately this, doesn't get to the place in his life, whether it's 6 a.m. on a a Tuesday morning during Bible study or 9 p.m. on a Friday night, doesn't get to the place where wine controls him. He's controlled by the Holy Spirit, is how Paul would say it. That's a characteristic of a man who says, I'm on mission for Jesus, therefore I need to be under his control all the time. So if I'm gonna choose to partake, I'm gonna not sit long with wine. Next thing is this not violent, not violent, um, this is not the idea of weakness, it's actually the idea of strength that is restrained, restrained strength, um, I, I'll give you an example of this, I was, uh, I was turkey hunting with a good friend this past week, and it was his first time to go turkey hunting, and so um, we're sitting there all camoed out, you know, looking like trees, and, uh, and I start making this turkey call, and he's you know, he's listening. I'm like, hey, you've never been turkey yet. Let me kind of tell you what we're doing. I said, basically what I'm doing is I'm putting out a personal ad into the woods. And what I'm saying is this, I'm pretending to be a female turkey who's who's eligible and and and, and open, right, to be approached. That's what we're doing. This is a personal ad. Looking for strong male to come seek and find me and win me over. I said, so here's what we hope happens. We hope that somewhere within hearing range, there's a strong male turkey out there who's gonna hear our personal ad and respond by what? By, by gobbling, right? And so then what we want to happen is we wanna convince this male to get close enough in, we can take him out. That's what we're after here. We don't, we're not trying to get the girls to come in. We're looking for a strong, mature, bold, gobbler turkey. Right, so we're just putting out the personal ad here. I said, but here's something else that may happen. We may be an earshot of two gobblers, and this is going to get exciting because here's what's going to happen. One's going to gobble, and then the other one's going to hear that one gobble. He's going to gobble, and then they're going to get a little closer, and they're going to gobble again, a little closer, gobble again. I said, now, what's going to happen? They're going to get close enough where they see each other, and now all of a sudden, they're going to be focused on one another, and here's what's going to happen. Their chests are going to go out. Their tail feathers are going to go up. Their wings are going to go to the ground, and they're going to start squaring off. So he says, oh, that sounds like junior high. You're absolutely right. That's what we're talking about here, right? And so what he's saying in a a man who is sold out for Christ is this, that he is not given, right, to, to violence. He's not a weak man, but his strength is restrained. He's not like an eighth grader fighting over a girl at a dance, trying to bust his chest out and prove how cool he is, right? I mean, women, were you ever impressed with that anyway? Can we just get that out there? I mean, what woman in here was impressed by an eighth grade boy, right, with pimples, Who was willing to punch another kid to earn your respect? Who was impressed? Anybody? Just get that out on the table, man. Did you hear that? Never impressed. You know what? This this applies after junior high though, right? Somebody brings confrontation to you at work or you're just out in public at a restaurant, right? It's not a sign of weakness to control yourself in strength and say, you know what? That's not who I am. I don't have to engage in this with you to prove anything. I don't have to win this argument, right, to be cool. I know who I am in Christ, and I can just let it go. And that's what he means by, right, not given to violence. And he goes on to say this, not greedy for gain. Not greedy for gain. Here's Here's what he means by that. Men, that you steward your finances in such a way that you are willing and able to be generous, to be generous with the church, to be generous with those who are in need. That's what he means here, right? So you can show me a wealthy person who is greedy for gain, right, and not willing to be generous, but you can show me a poor person as well, right, who doesn't have much, but stewards it and manages it in such a way that they're able to be generous. Isn't this what Jesus acknowledged in the woman who gave the two coins? It was all she had, It wasn't her wealth he was impressed with. What, it was she had managed life in such a way she was able to be generous for the sake of others. Men, you want to exemplify Christ? Steward well what God has blessed you with in such a way that you're able to help others. Fair warning, single ladies, you date a man who spends a lot of money on himself. I'm telling you, you want it again? Here it is. Psst, and walk away. Self-controlled, let's back up. Hospitable, this is a big one. Always willing to welcome in the outsider. Okay? So that could mean, as we talked about last week, welcoming in orphans. Temporarily allowing somebody to come live with you, engaging in foster to adopt, adopting, always willing to be hospitable for people who are in need. Okay? Uh, It also means people who aren't like you. Why do we struggle with that, men? I mean, we start this again. This starts at like junior high. We get in our little cliques, and these are the jocks, and these are the preps, and these are the, and we begin to identify with people around us, and we're so closed off to people who aren't like us, different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, different socioeconomic, right, upbringings, and so we're so closed off, and we're so uncomfortable at times, men, with people who aren't like us. Praise God that Jesus is not like that. That he's the kind of man who welcomes in outsiders, people, right, who don't look like they fit in. You want to be a man after the heart of Jesus, you're willing to welcome in outsiders. Your home is open, your life is open to others. He's hospitable. Lover of good, self-control, which means not impulsive. Upright, which means just willing to make the hard decision, even when it's not popular, to say, this is what's right. We talked about last week with raising our kids, right? When you make a, make a threat, here's what's going to happen. If you do this, justice means what? You keep your word and you follow through. You're just. Not only that, holy, Uh uh-oh. Now we're ready to check out, aren't we? I was, I was following you, but now you just said the word holy. Again, a word we don't fully understand. God calls us to be holy because he himself is holy. What does the word mean? What does the word mean? It first of all means to be set apart. God says what? There's no other gods like me. I'm set apart, therefore I'm holy. If you're a man in Christ, you should look different from the men in our culture. Right? If you're you're married, your spouse should be able to see in you some sort of difference from the other men that she observes in our culture and society. Set apart but the word also means sanctified, and I'm so grateful that it does. You know what the word sanctified means? It means to be in the process of being transformed. Haha, <laughs> I'm in on that. I'm in on that. See, we, we hear this word elder. We read qualifications, qualifications for elders, and we tend to think, these are like the perfect men in the church, right? These guys never mess up, and then you come hang out with us, and we disappoint you because we mess up. So being above reproach, again, is not being perfect, but it's always being willing to say, you know what? If there's anything you need to approach me about, I'm approachable. Come talk to me. If I've offended you, let me ask for forgiveness. So this idea of being sanctified means to be in the process of being transformed to be more like Jesus every day. Struggle by struggle, glory by glory, victory by victory, moment by moment, conversation by conversation. Ask my wife. I am far from being a perfect person, but hopefully... If you catch her on the right day, she'll say yes, but he's more like Jesus today than he was when I first married him. To be sanctified, to be in the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus. Again, women, this is a significant part for you to play in the the spiritual transformation of your significant other. When you affirm in them where you see Jesus as much or more than you, right, call out where they're not like Jesus, it's a powerful thing. Just tell me one thing I'm doing right goes a long ways. I know I got the list of things I'm doing wrong, but if every once in a while, right, throw me a bone and just, sh- just speak it into me. Where do you see me looking more like Jesus today than I did last year? Being sanctified. Not only is he being sanctified, he is also disciplined. Discipline, which means strength. This word translates strength. It also, again, rest, uh, restraint or controlling. This word, I believe, applies primarily to himself. Okay? Primarily to himself. I don't care who you are, man, male figure in the room. You can find somebody out there that you're stronger than. Doesn't impress anybody. The strength that you're being called to is, can you control yourself? Right? Can you take all that strength and masculinity and can you use it, right, to what? To restrain your own self, your own tongue, your own actions. That's strength, like Christ. Upright, holy, and disciplined. And then the last thing in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Now, um, I think, in, in, again, in the church, men, I think one of our big stumbling blocks is pride. Because to, to grow deeper in your understanding of the theology of the gospel, you're gonna to have to be willing to ask questions and admit what you don't know. So, so men, how are we at that? Let me ask your significant others. How good is your significant other at admitting that he is wrong and doesn't know something? If, you, if you've got one of those men, you're blessed. Most of us are painfully prideful and we don't wanna admit whether it's how to get to this location Get the GPS out of the way. I'm gonna use the wind and the sun and my instinct to get there. <laughs> yeah, but honey, you're, you're going this way. We need to go, I, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, I got this, right? We're inherently, painfully, arrogant and prideful. But if we're gonna grow in our knowledge of the trustworthy word as taught, you're gonna to have to engage in conversations and learn, men which means admit what you don't know and ask questions. So now, what we're gonna do, look at verse 15 and 16 with me real quick. Once again, he brings it to a culmination. He says in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And now he's gonna talk about what it means to be a non-believer, okay? He says this, both their minds and their consciences are defiled, they profess to know God. Well, that sounds kind of weird. I thought we were talking about unbelievers. Look at what he says. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, men, you can wear the t-shirt, right? Jesus is my lifeguard. You can have the fish on the back of your car. You can play the game. You can say, I know God. But if there's disconnect between your character and what you claim to believe, we got a significant issue here. He said it earlier, what? That we want to grow in the knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness. And here he's saying, right, this warning. Ladies, single women in the room, like, hear this. Don't bring bring the joker to me and say, he's a Christian. How do you know? Because he goes to church or he's willing to come to church with me? hey, that's a good first start, that does not mean he's a Christian. Does not mean he knows Jesus. Doesn't, I'm sorry. If he knows Christ, he will look like Jesus on some level. He'll be in that process of being transformed into the image of Jesus. There will be a connection with what he claims to believe and the character coming out of his heart. If all you're seeing is arrogance and pride, back up. Tap the brakes, push in the clutch. You might need to put that joker in reverse and get out of there, I'm telling you goes a long way. It's just, psst, I'm out on that. I'm out. Ladies, you're going to tr- be tried. They're going to try to convince you to compromise from, like, junior high, maybe even before that on, right, ladies? To compromise, to sell out, right? When you go to college, these boys that know how to shave, and they're masters at video games, they're going to try to convince you that they're the men who need to lead you in life. Are you kidding me? Show show me a man who stewards life well, who manages his household well. That's the kind of man I want to follow. That's the kind of man I'll submit to. I love how, uh, if I could quote Allie Lamb, I wasn't there, by the way, but she was talking about this in our women's ministry about submission to men, and and when some women go, yeah, but my, my husband's a fool. You chose to submit to a fool then. Choose wisely. If I could say anything to the single women in the room, choose wisely. Be cautious who you give yourself to. This this guy is gonna be called by God to lead you. He's gonna lead you somewhere. Even by not leading you, he's gonna lead you somewhere. Make sure he's leading you to the feet of Jesus. Even if he's clumsy at doing it, make sure that's where he's leading you. It's not enough just to claim you know God. It's not enough. Now, it leaves us in a little bit of a peril, doesn't it, man? crud. I can already feel the conversation happening on the way home, right? <laughs> That's why I love Titus 2, because, because Paul steps in and Titus says, here's the deal. In some places you go, you're going to see men who are ready to go, but in a lot of places, you're going to have to make them. Roll up your sleeves, get in the trenches of their life, and help grow them, train them, urge them, speak, right, to become more like Jesus. And then he lays that out in Titus 2, Titus 2, one. Paul says to Titus, here's where this begins. You need to teach sound doctrine. If your men and your women are gonna grow in Christ, they've gotta be taught sound doctrine. Then in verse two, look at what he says of chapter two. Older men, which is not old men, it's mature men in the faith. So mature men in the faith are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. That's not a different list of expectations. It's a summary of what we read in Titus 1. You feel that? So here's what he's saying. Paul is saying to Titus, like, you've got to encourage your men that they're growing towards this character of Christ you see exemplified in the qualifications of an elder. Older men in the faith need to be pursuing this. And if you jump down to verse six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's a pretty good way to sum up that list, isn't it? From Titus one, five through nine, self-controlled right? To be so empowered by the love of Jesus that you're able to control yourself. We're really good at doing that list of things the opposite way. We're good at being arrogant, quick-tempered, right? Not self-controlled. And so ultimately what Paul is saying to Titus is this, you need to raise spiritual leaders in your church that lead well in their homes, lead well in the church, lead well in the community. And guess what? They're not going to be obvious. You're going to spend time with men, investing in the lives of men, getting in the trenches with men, calling them out of arrogance into humility, imploring them to quit using their strength to prove how strong they are to others and to use their strength to control themselves. And here's how you do that. You encourage the older men in your church, right? You encourage them and then you urge the younger men to become more like the Jesus they see in the spiritual leaders in the church. That's what discipleship is. I don't care what you call the program. That's what discipleship is. Ladies, we're gonna come back next week and see that laid out for you as well. And so he's calling the church to disciple men, future leaders, future elders in the church. And then in verse 11, I love verse 11. In verse 11, Paul is gonna remind Titus of the thing that actually transforms us to be more like Jesus. The thing that convinces us to let go of the things of this world so we can steward well what God's given us. He's gonna remind us of the thing that causes us to want to, right, to restrain our strength and apply it to ourselves rather than everybody else. Here it is in verse 11. He says it. For the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And look at what grace does for us. Verse 12, training us to what? Renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How are we ever gonna go from zero to 60, man? Can I just say this? Gone is the excuse. My daddy didn't didn't give me this example, so I don't know what to do. Because God is stepping in as your heavenly father saying, listen, I created you and designed you, not your earthly father. And you may have had a joke for a dad, We need to get past that, right? And there is a way for you to get there. There's a way for you to get there, men. And it's gonna be the grace of Jesus that will transform your life, that will train you to let go of the things of this world. Not some random moral code, right? No, don't take these qualifications and plaster them on the church wall and walk around with your clipboard watching for people to mess up. It's not gonna do it. It's the grace of Jesus. Let me talk to you for just a minute about um, how uh, male discipleship, men discipleship works here at Solid Rock. There's a difference between being male and being a man. Can we understand that first of all? I've got two other males who live in my house and I promise you, they're not men yet. One's about to turn five and the other one's eight, right? Shaving isn't enough, right? So there's a difference between just having plumbing and actually being a man. So what we're talking about is, right, how do we disciple men in our church? No matter what, the the blueprint has been laid, okay? So here's how that works for us at Solid Rock, if you're not not fully aware. Um, Our men's ministry meets once a month. So this coming Wednesday night, men of the church are invited to come out, 6.30 p.m. We're gonna gonna grill out. What, you're not in on that? Come on, right? (laughs) Grill out, and you're gonna get to hear a few testimonies of men who've been transformed through the men's ministry here. And some people will come up and say, yeah, but meeting once a month isn't isn't enough. I agree 100%. But what we can't do is we can't fill up your calendar, men, so that you're so engaged in growing as a man that you're not at home leading your family. So we've tried to balance out that rhythm for you. So here's how we would like to lay it out for you to grow as a man in Christ. First of all, men's ministry, that's the pep rally. Where we get together, we bump chest, we high five, we grunt a little, we swap stories, then we're, then we're wrecked by God's word. Then we're reminded of the grace of Jesus and we go back out and we do it again. Many of you are involved in community groups, meeting twice a month. This isn't just men specific, but you're able to be discipled in the presence of your significant other. If you got one, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? Right? To have somebody in your group ask a question about sin and you start opening up and being honest, then you're like, oh crud, the person next to me lives with me. I've got to lay this out there. Here's where I'm flawed and where I messed up. And then it's it's within the context of a community that loves you understands grace. And so rather than condemning you, they wrap their arms around you, they pray for you, they encourage you, they check in on you. They have a couple times a month. My hope is this, that you build such relationships with the men in the church that you're actually meeting outside of even men's ministry or community groups. One-on-one, one-on-three, two-on-two. However, Starbucks, lunch, early morning Bible studies, however it needs to play out for you and your schedule, but you're positioning yourself in such a way, right, that Titus 2 can play out, that more mature men in the faith are speaking into your life, calling you, right, out of ungodliness into the character of Christ. So that's how we desire for men's ministry to work here at the church. But none of it will work apart from the grace of Jesus this old school mentality that men's ministry is purely accountability is wrong. Pure accountability alone does not work. No hearts have ever been transformed by accountability. Sometimes behavior modification happens, but it's pretty temporary. True heart transformation happens when there's confession of sin washed over by the grace of God, period. Ladies, you want that more than anything for your your husband's that they are meeting regularly with men where they're open and honest about their struggles and then they're reminded of the grace of Jesus. That's the single thing that will transform them into his image as we just read. All right, I wanna, I wanna take a minute just to pray for us. How you doing? You good, ladies? Hopefully, um, hopefully, you're not racking up a list of things to go home and just berate your significant other with if you're married. Hopefully, you've already moved on to the next list. And you started thinking about the character of Christ and your significant other. Even if it's hard to see, please, please, please call it out for us. Please let us know, okay? Let us know where we're getting it right. And hopefully today at some point you might stop and speak encouragement over the heart of a man, whether it's your husband, moms with your boys. Maybe Maybe it's just a friend you've got, you need to speak, but think about how you can be a part of this process of life change in a man's life if you're single, whether you're of married age or you're not yet, I I pray that God is laying out for you a grid through which to see the men in the world, or let me say it this way, to see the males in our world, so that you're able to discern this is truly a man after God's own heart versus somebody who just claims to know God, and I hope God's laying that standard for you because you've got a significant part of the process. I want to pray for us now, and I just don't know everybody in the room anymore, and that's fine. I love all the folks that are coming to church here and how God's moving and working, so I just need to lay this out there. If you're here today, and you do not personally know the grace of God, then please, 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 don't go home and start trying to live out Titus 1, okay? You're gonna fail. I promise you, you're gonna fail. Like, none of this is gonna make sense apart from the grace of Jesus, and it's yours today as a free gift by simply believing in Jesus coming to Jesus and saying, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you've died for my inadequacies and my sins and where I don't measure up, please forgive me. Bring your failures honestly to the cross. He washes over with grace in that moment. And that's the place in which we are saved. Now I could take place right where you're seated, just right where you're at in just a minute, we're praying, we're singing, whatever we're doing, and you get right with God and say, God, I believe right now. I don't wanna leave this place unforgiven. God, for wash over me right now with this grace we just read about, Titus 2.11, a grace that will transform me over time to be more like Jesus. That's a free gift to you today. If you want somebody to talk with you and pray with you, our um, prayer partners will be in the back, and would really uh, be honored to get to talk to you more about becoming a Christian and pray with you. If you want to come down and kneel and pray, you can do that. Um, we're going to take communion in just a minute. And communion is a special time for the saints of God, those who are saved, to celebrate together this great gift of grace we have in Jesus. Uh, Nick Hill is gonna be coming, leading us in communion in just a minute. But before he does that, Jason Martin, I'm gonna invite Jason Martin to come back up and just lead us into a time of, of reflection, a time maybe to take some inventory, a time to just spend some time with the Holy Spirit saying, okay, God, show me what I need to take away from Titus 1 and 2 today. Whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, could could we pray that prayer together? It's pretty bold and risky. Let's just ask God, show me what you want me to hear today. And then let's be willing to respond. Let's pray together and ask God to prepare our hearts. Father, thank you, first and foremost, for being the perfect example of of masculinity. And, And God, this world and culture we live in where masculinity is 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 somehow wrong, somehow um, corrupt or politically incorrect. And and the idea of of true masculinity has been hijacked in so many ways, God. We're so thankful that you speak through those misconceptions directly to our hearts today. God, you've created the men in this room. You've designed our passions and hearts. There's a reason, God, why we are the way we are. God, could we learn to be more like Jesus? Using our strength for restraint rather than for violence or quick-temperedness? Could we take this great love we have for ourselves and bend it out towards others? Could we truly live as apostles on mission with instructions here on this, here on this world and this life? Could we live for something bigger than ourselves? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts now as we lay ourselves before you. Lead us to respond and prepare our hearts to take communion. We pray in Jesus' name.